Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It's good to be with you this morning. If you're at Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read starting in verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is Jesus' word to, to the church there in Ephesus. And he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you will fall, and repent And do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise. Of God, Lord, we just pray you bless your word this morning as we dive into it and that This word to that church in Ephesus would be a word to us as well, and that our hearts and minds would be open to your spirit speaking to us. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin this morning, I want to bring your attention back there to verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Apostle John was given the revelation of Jesus and told to write it down and deliver it to the seven churches listed in chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 11. But these letters... They're not only for, for this. They were not only meant for this church. They were meant for us. It was meant for the global church today. Today, January 16th, 2022, it was meant for our church, Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And it was meant for each and every one of us. Our ears, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are our ears open to what God wants to say to us as we look at this letter to the church in Ephesus. None of us is excluded. As I look around the room, we all have ears here. God wants to speak to us this morning. And the question is, are we ready to listen? Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So I read this letter to the church in Ephesus aloud, so I'm blessed, and you heard it. You are blessed. And the blessing continues as we keep on living it out living the things out that we have heard and hear today. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Now, I want you to think back with me. Maybe this is recent past. Maybe this is many decades ago. But I want you to remember your first love. 
Remember your first love. Maybe it was a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, maybe he or she didn't even know that you liked them, but you were in love. Maybe it was, maybe it was not a childhood infatuation. It, it, was, it was a childhood friend. You, you were inseparable. You did everything together. Maybe it was an inanimate object. It was a truck. I don't know. It was a car. It was your favorite toy. It was your blanket. It was your first love, right? Uh, somebody's resonating with the truck. Yes, okay. For those of you here, you know, maybe you're in middle school, you're in high school. Maybe you're going through this right now, your first love. Maybe you, didn't even, you don't even know what that means, but it consumes you. It's all this person. It's all that you think of. It's all you talk about. You know, when you're with them, you, you don't want it to end. And when you are apart, you, you can't wait until you get back together. Maybe some of you say, nah, that never happened to me. But I'm sure, I'm sure you've met some people like this. Newlyweds, dating couples. You know, I remember being in high school and someone in our peer group would get a boyfriend and girlfriend. You would never see them again, you know. Or if they were with you, they were like always making googly eyes or acting silly around each other, holding hands. And this is really annoying, you know. Where's John? Well, he's off talking to Jill again. Well, aren't they sick of each other? They're at school all day together and they call on the phone all night. You know, I had a girlfriend in high school, and I'd call her house at night, and her sister would answer, and her sister did not like me. These were the days, you know, when there was the one phone in the house. It was usually attached to a wall in the kitchen. It had long, curly cord. And the sister would yell my girlfriend's name and then tell me in no uncertain terms that this conversation had to be short because her boyfriend was calling. You know, it was a total mess back then. You know, this is strike a chord with anyone today. Your first love, you're remembering back. Maybe I'm bringing back nightmares. I apologize. But, <laughs> but, but do you, maybe, maybe you remember, you know, the first time you came to know the Lord, the first time you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe that was your first love. Do you remember the excitement that you felt? There were feelings. Yes, real feelings, but there was action and you know, I remember seeing this testimony of this girl. She recounted how she was saved on a Sunday morning at the age of six, and she said she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the next day was Monday at school, and it was show-and-tell day, and her show-and-tell was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> she wanted to talk about Jesus, and the teacher was like, hmm, this is going to be interesting, class. You know, all she wanted to talk about was what had happened to her on Sunday. Do you remember when Jesus, the, the God of the universe, became Lord of your life and a personal relationship began? A, a fire was started based on his eternal love for you and his mercy, his grace, his sacrifice. Oh, we just, we just wanted to love him back. We didn't even really know what that really meant. We had this newfound love and joy and gratefulness in our lives. It consumed us. It was all we thought about. It was all that we talked about. And as we dive into our text this morning, I want you to keep that kind of picture in your mind, those thoughts in your mind, those feelings, those memories. I think it will help us understand the words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus. And we'll, and we'll be ready, I think, to hear his word for us today and his vision for the church and this vision for this year. In this series, we've been looking, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the passages in the Bible that tell us about, tell us about God's work in the city of Ephesus and in that church and what it teaches us about God's vision for us as a church and individually as followers of Jesus. And the title of today's message is A Community Persevering in the Gospel. A Community Persevering in the gospel. And we're going to break down our text this morning into four parts. 
and they all start with C. Jesus commends the church in verses 2, 3, and then also in verse 6. And then secondly, Jesus counsels the church in verse 4. Thirdly, Jesus cautions the church in verse 5. And then lastly, Jesus comforts the church in verse 7. Now, as a way of introduction to our four points, let's read verse 1 again. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So before we move on, I think before we move on, I think it's important to point out a few things here in verse 1 to give us some context. One, that word angel in our text just means messenger. It means messenger. It means messenger in both Greek and in the Hebrew. And there's some debate as to whether, whether uh, he is referring to an actual angel who's watching over the church or, church or whether it's the pastor of that particular church. And so if you do your study among the commentators and theologians, you probably find that most of them lean to, to, towards the fact that it's a pastor of the church at Ephesus. This letter was giving, given to a pastor at the church. Secondly, we are told in this letter who this letter is from. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. John gives a description of Jesus in, in chapter 1 of Revelation. And, and he tells us there that this letter, this letter is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Then we're told in verse 20 of chapter 1 what the lamp stands and who the seven stars are. And we can read that, right? If you just back up one verse in chapter 1, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here, starting in, in chapter 2, we're given this beautiful picture of Jesus holding these seven pastors, messengers in his hand, and he is walking among the churches. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. The work of our salvation was complete. But Jesus didn't just lie back on his throne and pull his lazy boy lever, you know, and just kind of kick back. Yes, the work of our salvation is done and complete, but Jesus still works on our behalf, interceding for us, praying for us, leading us. And here we see him walking among the churches, holding those pastors firmly in his hand. He's not afar off, but he is near to us, watching over his church, his bride. And that word holds, it's a very strong word. It means to have mastery over, to rule, to possess, to keep firmly, carefully, and faithfully. Now, I love learning about the nature of God. It always gives me cause to worship him even more. And I, I love the picture here. We, we have a great picture of the nature of God here. Right now, he holds you and I firmly in his hands, carefully and faithfully as Lord and King. We are his people. We are his church. And this reminds me of John chapter 10, starting in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand, out of the Father's hand. So I and the Father are one. So no matter what the future holds for you this year or for us as a church, 
We can rest. Let us rest in that promise as children of God and as sheep of the good shepherd. And maybe that's something, maybe that's just a specific word for someone here today. Maybe you're listening online. Maybe you're listening later on the week on a podcast. God has you firmly. No matter what you're going through right now, you feel like God is far away. God has you firmly in his hands this morning. So let's dive into our first point. Jesus commends the church. We read there, starting in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Jesus says, I know your works. This church in Ephesus, they had, they had the best start. They had some of the best Bible teachers ever, the best leadership, great vision, great purpose. The Apostle Paul, who would write most of the New Testament, you know, he founded this church. He spent three years pouring the word of God into them. I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel, the whole counsel of God, he tells them in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Timothy would stand in this pulpit. Apollos, great men of God. Priscilla and Aquila, who, who discipled Apollos, they were foundational parts of this church. And early church tradition tells us that the apostle John himself in his old age, you know, after he comes from the island of Patmos where he actually received this letter of revelation, would lead, he would stand in the pulpit. He would lead the church. Some even, some even say that he delivered the book of Revelation to the church in Ephesus. The, the church had a great start. The church in Ephesus had an amazing start. And you know, in Ephesus was not an easy place to minister in as well. To start a church, to plant a church, it was, it was the center of trade. It was, it was a big city, center of trade for Asia during that time. But it was also the center of pagan, pagan worship, idolatry, and all kinds of criminal activity. Heraclitus, who was an ancient philosopher, said this of Ephesus, no one could live in Ephesus without weeping at the immorality which he must see on every side. Bible commentator William Barclay writes, such was Ephesus, a more unpromising soil for the sowing of the seed of Christianity can scarcely be imagined. And yet it was there that Christianity had some of its greatest triumphs, Quoting R.C. Trent, he writes, Nowhere did the word of God find a kindlier soil, strike root more deeply, or bear fair, fair fruits of faith and love. In Acts 19, where we read that there was a riot against Paul there in Ephesus because a certain silversmith named Demetrius was angry that the preaching of Paul and the ministry of the church as a whole was having a detrimental effect on his business, his sale of idols. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 19, verse 25. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may, she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship." 
You know, the gospel ministry of Paul, of the church, was striking a blow at the very heart of the secular and pagan culture there in Ephesus. But not only was the Ephesian church grounded in the word and effective in ministry, but Paul's letter to the Ephesians tells us, Ephesians tells us that a hallmark of this church was their love for the saints. The church in Ephesus, they had a great start. They had an amazing start. Paul's letter to them is filled with encouragement and exhortation. He prays this beautiful prayer over them in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you don't know how to pray for people, you're, not, you're like, what should I pray for you? Well, this is a great place to start. This is a, you can pray this prayer for me any day. And I want to pray it over you this morning, over our church. Ephesians 3, starting verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of, of work of, within us. To him be the glory, to, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Had you been grounded, been rooted and grounded in love. This church had a great start, effective in ministry, grounded in the word, grounded in love. And, and Jesus says, I know your works your toil and patient endurance. That, that word toil, the word toil means to labor to the point of exhaustion. And he goes on, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. The church, they had taken all, they took all that they had learned from Paul and they went to work. They applied it and they worked hard. They were on a mission and they were not going to stop until it was done. Notice those words there in verse 2 and 3, depending on your translation. You'll see these words, labor or toil, bearing up, patient endurance, perseverance. These were the foundational words of this church. This church did not slack in doing the ministry. They were a well-oiled machine. They knew how to do church. And they knew who they were doing it for as we, as we read there that in verse 3, I know you're enduring patient, patient, you're, you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown very weary. Bearing up for my name's sake. All that toil and labor, their patient endurance, the work of the ministry was done in the name of Jesus. This was a glorious and a supreme motive. And not only that, but we read there in verse 6 that they hated the works of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus says, I too hate the works of the Nicolaitans. So who are these Nicolaitans? Jesus did not seem very fond of their works. Well, they're mentioned only one other place. And here in Revelation, actually in our whole Bible there, and here in Revelation, verse 15 of chapter 2, we read there in verse 15, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. This is, of course, very... Uh, very much in stark contrast to the church in Ephesus who would have nothing to do with them. For some reason, the church in Pergamos had let the teaching of the Nicolaitans come into their congregation. So, so who are they? Who are these Nicolaitans? Well, if I give you a kind of a brief synopsis of Bible commentary and historical sources, they would be a people that led lives of 
unrestrained indulgence. They were closely associated with the Gnostic heresy, but parading as Christians who have made it kind of felt like they leveled up. They made it to the next level. Again, William Barclay says it like this, the Nicolaitans, like all deceivers that come from the body of Christ, claimed not that they were destroying Christianity, but that they were presenting an improved and a modernized version of it. And Paul had warned the Ephesians about these people. We read in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 28 in his final address to the Ephesian elders, he starts, he says, pay attention, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The Ephesians, they had taken the words of Paul very seriously, and Jesus commends them here in these opening verses. The church there, they were uncompromising. Their orthodoxy was impeccable. Their work ethic was second to none. But, but, and here we transition to our second point, but Jesus counsels the church. We start there in verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at the first. The New King James Version reads, if you have that this morning, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The whole tone of this letter is now suddenly changed dramatically by this one word, but, you know, and then followed by this phrase, I don't think any of us wants to hear from God spoken to us, but I have this against you. I wonder what the reaction was is the, you know, they're at the church and the congregation, they get this letter and the pastor's reading and they're, you know, and remember they, they, they're the first on the list of the churches, you know, so they don't realize there's a pattern that emerges as you read through the, the, the letters to the churches in chapter two and three. And, and, you know, I'm sure they're feeling pretty good right now as, as, as the pastor's reading the letter. And I'm sure there's a few amens that went out from the congregation. Yes, he knows our works. We do work hard, don't we? And patting each other on the back. And then suddenly he says, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. And suddenly the room is silent. And someone says, what, what does he mean by that? We have abandoned our first love. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to abandon our first love? Well, for this church, it would seem that they had lost that passion. They lost the passion and fervor for Christ. The passionate love that had motivated them and burned within their hearts had given way to a mechanical orthodoxy, a, a ritualistic form of service that lacked enthusiasm and zeal. They, they had become a discerning church, but they had lost that first love. They, they had excelled in theology, but they had lost that first love. They had outserved everyone in ministry, but they had lost their first love. They had been persecuted for the name of Jesus, but they had lost their first love. Jeremiah 2.2 reads this. It's a, it's a similar plea from the heart of God to his children there in Israel. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. As we began this morning, I asked you to think back to a time when you might have experienced first love. And 
One of the things that's evidence of first love is it's that it's an abandonment to all else but that object of your affection. But sadly for the church in Ephesus, the opposite was now true. A passionate relationship with Jesus has evolved into legalism with those things that stirred their hearts and moved them to love Christ, where at worst they were now long forgotten and at best they were pushed to the side as not being important anymore. Like lovers who married, but over the years have just become roommates, going through the motions. Why is this important for us to grasp this morning as we include this part of Ephesian history in our vision series for this year? You know, usually a vision series is full of lofty goals and calls to action. Why include the narrative of a church in decline? Well, for us to persevere as a church this year and the years to come, the decades to come, the, this generation, the next generation, we cannot lose the passion of our first love for Christ. To ensure our success in the future, we must go back to the beginning over and over and over again. We must always be returning to Jesus and his love for us. First John 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Second Corinthians 5, 14, we're compelled by the love of Christ. We're compelled by the love of Christ. Going back to the why. Why do we exist as a church? Why, do I, why am I even going to church? Why am I a Christian? Why did I give my life to Christ in the first place? You know, history, sadly, is littered with church movements and denominations that lost their first love. They refused to go back to the beginning and to ask why. Ask why. So, so many works of God start out as movements of the Spirit, great movements of the Spirit. But over time, that hunger for God and His, and his righteousness, it makes them, it, it kind of goes away. And it makes the movement now a monument, is a loss. It's a monument unto itself. And then time, you know, and over time, if there's no repentance and there's no return to the first love, that, that movement now becomes a mausoleum, a place of death. History is littered with these kinds of churches. And this might be kind of alarming to you at this point in, this, in the sermon this morning. Do I feel like we as a church are heading down the road of the Ephesians? No, I don't believe at all. An emphatic no. But I do think that it's a healthy practice in our lives to ask why. And remember the passion of our youth when we were born again into the family of God. People, you know, people are always making resolutions at the start of a new year. So why not make a resolution to deepen your relationship with the lover of your soul, Jesus? As Charles Wesley so aptly puts it in his hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll. While the tempest still is high, hide me, O my Savior, hide till the storm of life is past. Safe unto thy harbor guide, O receive my soul at last. How can I know if I have lost my first love? You know, there's this line in this movie, I think it's really funny, and this guy's girlfriend, he's just nagging him again about something or another, and he's like, here we go, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. But I don't want to take you on a guilt trip this morning, but we are exhorted by Scripture, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Peter, in his second letter, tells us, Therefore, brothers, be, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
So as we start this new year, it's wise of us. It's wise of us to examine ourselves collectively as a church and as individuals. Where are my passions? Where are my priorities? Does that fire for the Lord still burn in my heart? Well, let me briefly give you a few places to start as, as we examine that question. Have I lost my first love? Well, the first one I think is probably the most obvious, at least it was to me, is that we, we love something more than we love Jesus. You know, that person or this thing, take, it takes priority over our relationship with God. That's one way of thinking of it. Another way is that we, we could love the idea of God, but not God himself. Or we, we love the knowledge of God, but not God himself. We love the idea of serving God but not God himself. Secondly, things of God have become duty instead of desire. Things of God have become duty in our lives instead of desire. I have to go to church. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible. It's not I want to. It's I have to. Church is something we just do on a Sunday, not a a precious time to meet with the saints of God. It's the body of Christ to engage with the creator of the universe and worship. In our time, you know, I drive home from church to spend critiquing all the things that were wrong about the service that morning. Thirdly, we have lost our passion. Maybe we've lost our passion for evangelism, telling others about what Jesus has done for us, inviting them to church. I'm not talking about standing, maybe standing on a street corner or, or witnessing to somebody in the grocery store while you're standing in line to check out. But that one thing that defines your eternity no longer comes up in conversation. Instead, the world has become your enemy and not a, a fallen and lost generation that, that needs salvation in Jesus. We no longer have a love for people to be, to, to be a community persevering in the gospel. We have to be a community persevering in love for one another, and for the fallen world around us. And that kind of love, it requires patient endurance. It's not easy, but it is our mandate from God. Maybe, number four, we've become comfortable with the awe and wonder of who God is. We become too comfortable in his presence. I remember a few years ago when mobile phones were becoming very popular and everyone had one. And uh, we would be in church service, and the worship team is leading the church in song. And the person in front of me would have, you know, they'd be like, have their hands raised. You know, they're really into it, raised, praising God, singing. And then their phone would ring, and you'd think it was God who just called them on their phone because they grabbed the phone, and they'd run out to answer it. And I saw this so often, and it was sad. It was sad. Because can't we trust 60 minutes, 90 minutes of our lives to the creator of the universe to actually be present in his presence and submitted to him. None of that awe and wonder that we see in Revelation 1 when John saw Jesus in his vision. When I saw him, I fell as, as, at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. Standing here this morning, preaching the word of God, being his ambassador this morning, I never want to take this lightly. This is the holy word of God. I was listening to uh, uh, a a thing that said it was a podcast, and it's talking about uh, G. Campbell Morgan. Somebody asked him, he said, do you get nervous when you go up on stage? Uh, when you go to preach the word of God, and he says, yes, there's this churning in my stomach. 
all the time. I'm nervous. And then the reporter asked him again. He says, are you, is there going to be a time where you, you don't preach the word of God? And he says, I'll stop preaching the word of God when that churning in the stomach stops. You know, the, the understanding, this is the holy word of God. We don't take it lightly. We study it, present it in fear and in confidence in the Lord. Yes, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our present help in time of trouble, our comforter, the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, but he is also transcendent. He is creator. Bible says he's a consuming fire. The lion of Judah, we dismiss his holiness at our own peril. Lastly, we're not hearing the voice of God anymore. And moreover, we're not, we're not even seeking to hear the voice of God anymore. Asking God's opinion about our life's decision, decisions have become more like panic prayers, you know, when things don't turn out the way we wanted them to. You know, the thing that defines a good relationship is good communication, talking to one another. Imagine if you went up to your wife one day and said, honey, I sold the house. She goes, what? Yeah, I sold the house. We didn't even talk about it. When did this happen? Yeah, we're moving to Nebraska because I don't like looking at the mountains anymore. What? That kind of communication would never go over well in a marriage, but that's many times how our, our communication with the Lord is. You know, are we talking to God as a father or rather as a last resort? Are we seeking to hear his voice and know his will? Maybe he's trying to tell us something right now through the lights. Many times, you know, but many times the, the noise of our lives can, can drown out the spirit speaking to us. And maybe there are some things you want to make New Year's resolutions. Maybe there's just some things just we need to turn off. We just need to turn off this year so we can actually hear what the spirit says to the churches. And we move on to verse 5. We come to our third point. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here we see Jesus cautions the church. Our third point, Jesus cautions the church. But not only caution them, he gives them concrete ways they can bring revival back to the church and reestablish those right relational priorities with the author and finisher of their faith. And these exhortations, we this morning can take them to heart as well. Jesus tells them three things. Remember, repent, and respond. Remember, repent, and respond. First, Jesus says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. I think a great illustration for this is the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. When he had come to the end of his rope, he, he remembered from where he had fallen, from where he had, had come. He realized he had chosen riches over relationship, that even being a servant in his father's court was going to be much better than his current situation. Remember from where you have fallen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 tells us, remember that at the time you were separate from, from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And like we studied last week, remember who you are in Christ, your identity as a child of God and walk in it. A community persevering in the gospel is a community compelled by, controlled by, and consumed and captivated by the love of Christ. Now, secondly, Jesus says, repent. Repent. People treat the new year, you know, the new year as a, as a new beginning. 
And a clean slate of us, nothing has had gone before. You know, like 2021 is over, done with. I wish I'd never hear about it again. But in Christ, we truly can have a new beginning. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, repentance, it's, it's essential to restoring that fervor and passion in our love for Christ. It breaks down the walls of pride and, and restores right relationship. He is faithful and just. Jesus is not angry. His passion for you and I has never grown cold. We are the ones that break fellowship and go our own way. And to move forward, we need to go back to the beginning. Jesus said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So remember, repent, and then respond. Respond to the works you did at the first. I love, I love being around new believers, hearing their testimonies. They're, they're so excited about their new found faith. And, and the unique thing about new believers is that they, they know very little about God except the fact that simple gospel message, the love of God, they don't have impeccable orthodoxy and theological prowess, but they have this raw response to a divine rescue. They were on a road to destruction, and God saved them. They were lost, and now they're found, and that's all they want to talk about. They can't get enough of the Bible, and they want to pray all the time and be around the church and volunteering for everything they love for him really burns bright. How do we respond when we feel like we have left our first love? We do the works you did at the first. We respond. Do the works you did at the first. You read your Bible. Be in prayer. Be in community. Love your neighbor. Share your faith. You're hearing a pattern. We say it every week from the pulpit because we believe it's important. You know, we've, we, we believe reading your Bible, where's my reading plan, is so important that we we wanted to present you an opportunity to be able to read through your Bible this year. Read through your Bible this year. Here's a reading plan. There are many. They're out there. They're great. It's so important, so important that the Word of God is becoming everyday thing. And I tell my students when, when we're doing uh, pra practicing guitars, like, well, how do I get to become a better guitar player? Well, it's got to be like brushing your teeth. It's got to be part of your daily routine. If you want to be good at it, if you want to grow, it needs to be part of your daily routine. Prayer. Prayer card. Things to pray for for these years. We, we want to be intentional about what we as a church are praying for, but for you as well. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for your community. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for our out church outreaches. Pray for those empty chairs that you see here in the room. That The people that God or the Spirit is speaking to their hearts right now, and they're one, gate, one day going to sit right there. Pray for them. And then there's a space for you to fill in names or things. Maybe there's a person in your life that you've been praying for and you, and you want to see them safe. Put their name down. Put this up on your refrigerator. When you go in there at 2 in the morning for that illegal snack, you can see their name and uh, Spirit will cause you to pray for them, you know. Get involved in the community group. Join a team. Be intentional. Be committed. In those community groups, you can be praying for one another. You're, you're, you're sharing the word of God with one another. You're growing. Your faith is growing. It's, that's the way we grow. 
These are the things, these are the first things, but they are also the things that sustain us. They propel us forward, but they also bring us back to the source, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Jesus cautions them by saying, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what does it mean that he will remove their lampstand? I believe he is saying, my presence will be removed from your church, my Holy Spirit. They might continue as an organization, but no longer as a true church of God. If a church no longer is concerned with God being the head, Jesus being the head of the church, then he eventually is going to leave. And as I said before, history is littered with churches that have had their lampstands removed. What had begun in the spirit was tragically continued in the flesh. There's this quote by A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Oh, that we would be a church. It's completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, listening to and seeking after the voice of of God. Back to that verse in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. A church just, we want to be a church just following God. Wherever you're going, Lord, we're going to want to be where you're going to be. We want to be where you're going to be. And we want to be loving the way that you're loving. We want to be seeing the people the way you see the people. Now, finally, we get to our fourth point. Very short. Jesus comforts the church there in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers, or some translations say, to the one who overcomes. Well, conquers what? Overcomes what? Well, conquers the coldness of their hearts by remembering, repenting, and responding. Remembering, repenting, and responding. These things bring revival. And what is our reward for being in right relationship with God and returning to our first love? We are promised eternal life as we eat of the tree of life. And we, best of all, we spend that eternity with the lover of our souls, God, Jesus, in his paradise. I don't know about you, but that's a great promise. It's a great promise. Maturity in our faith as believers does not mean that the cross of Christ becomes any smaller Maturity doesn't mean that our dependence on God and the power of the Holy Spirit grows any less. If anything, the cross of Christ becomes bigger, more glorious as we dwell on his perfect love for us. Our dependence becomes greater as in the light of his glory and presence, our sin is made more obvious and our need of our Savior that more evident. That is maturity. That is what propels us forward in life and godliness, holiness, and power and keeps the fire of our first love burning bright. A community persevering in the gospel is a community compelled by, controlled by, and consumed and captivated by the love of Christ. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts 
or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.